Hello, and welcome to Career Talk with OG, where we empower you so opportunities come to you. Through our series of podcasts, we will give you relevant, practical, actionable career tips and strategies. We believe that through the act of storytelling, we can deliver relatable and authentic talks that allow listeners to gain real-world insight into the career journeys of industry professionals. With our very own Sasson, we bring to you Career Talk with OG. Everyone, we're going to jump into our next panel, and this time we have a panel of first-gen professionals, and our moderator for this panel is the amazing Bianca Sanchez, and so just a little bit about Bianca. She is a first-generation Mexican-American professional who is a land development manager based out of the Woodland, uh, Woodlands, Texas. She is multi-passionate individual that enjoys learning and providing others with opportunities to grow personally and professional. professionally. Bianca earned her bachelor's degree in business administration while working full-time as she started her career in project management. Currently, she is completing her MBA at Sam Houston State University while managing her career and business ventures. Bianca, Thank God I'm not wasn't in school with you because yeah you you yeah I would be copying off your paper. <laughs> no, you. Bianca, take it over, my friend. Gracias. Thank you so much. This is honestly an incredible opportunity. Uh, we have three incredible panelists that have some great information for everybody that comes from uh, different backgrounds. Um, I guess a little bit more about me is as Oscar mentioned. Um, I am, I, I was going to school full time and I was working as well, um, but I didn't start my career and uh, like normal people, essentially, um, I was at first uh, going to school for something completely different. Uh, life kind of happened. I dropped out and I, that's kind of how I started my career. I needed to find a job. I needed to bring in income, you know. The struggle was definitely there, but over time, I managed to overcome that. And um, I realized, you know, just like Oscar mentioned earlier, I realized what my superpowers were. And um, I realized I wanted to go back to school. I wanted to finish my degree and I wanted to keep powering through uh, all the struggles that we have to deal with as a first generation, anything really. Um, so the three panelists I have for you today are Victoria Banuelos. She's, she designs and ex executes content marketing strategies for culturally diverse brands. She completed her undergraduate degree at UC San Diego and her MS in communication management from the Brian Lamb School of Communication at Purdue University. She also draws on a decade of experience in communication management to understand how organizations foster a greater sense of belonging with both internal and internal teams and customers. 
We also have Suraida Nanez James. Suraida has been in the field of science for education for a little over 20 years, working in academia for nonprofits, the, the Texas State Aquarium, which is incredible, and a lot of schools. She earned a Bachelor of Science in Marine Fisheries from Texas A&M University at Galveston and Masters of Science from Texas A&M Corpus Christi. That's awesome, Suraida. Um, she also has a focus on marine fisheries and ecological research. She has sailed on the RV Joides. I hope we, we get to hear more about that later with IODP and the RV Falkor with Schmidt Ocean Institute, plus other expeditions with the Flower Garden Banks, National Marine Sanctuary as the Science Communication and Education Lead Officer. She recently served as one of the NOAA ocean exploration facilitators and contributed to the 2022 National Ocean Exploration Forum and to the Ocean Exploration Blueprint 2032. That is incredible. We also have Natalia Vila. Natalie is a deployment manager at a unicorn startup, a status startup, and was prior to an implementation consultant at a leading ERP firm. She graduated as a first-generation graduate from Florida International University in spring of 2021 with a degree in international business. Throughout the beginning of her career in tech, she has used her experience to mentor and guide other individuals with their own career transitions into tech. She is passionate, passionate about bringing transparency to the world of tech, in addition to helping others find their true potential and purpose. So as you know, we have these incredible panelists, and today we really want to talk about the experiences and challenges that first gen uh, go through in their careers or in their first jobs. So to start, uh, the first uh, question we'll be going over is, uh, Oh, I'm sorry, I'm ahead of myself. Um, I'm gonna go over to Victoria. If you wouldn't mind talking about your, your position, how long you've been at your current company. Sure, yeah, well, first off, thank you so much for the invitation. It's such a privilege to be here with you all and with these amazing panelists. Um, yeah, so I, starting my story a little earlier, I, I'm the author of First Gen, Next Gen, a guide to thriving as a first generation Latinx in the next generation of the American workforce, which is a book that focuses on the first five years of a young professional's career and explores how we can maximize our stories, our backgrounds, um, especially early on, so we can get on track to optimize our futures. And the way I started writing this book was actually on post-it notes. I spent several years volunteering with high school and college students here in LA. Um, I noticed that there was a pattern in the challenges they were facing and the challenges that I faced. So in that, I started reaching out to a bunch of business leaders on LinkedIn via email, and eventually the interviews with them became stories, which became the chapters for my book. And since publishing, I've had the opportunity to speak about the first-gen experience, and that actually led to the position that I'm in now. So I serve as the marketing director for ASU Local, which is a program that's offered by Arizona State University. And it has a model that specifically caters to groups like first-gen students who want to stay rooted in their communities and still have the benefit of getting their bachelor's in an environment that really encourages us to show up authentically. Um, so it's been a wild but very gratifying experience these last few years. And um, 
Yeah, I mean, before that, I've been working in marketing for about 10 years now and have worked for the local and federal government, commercial real estate, all kinds of industries. But now I feel like I'm actually in a role where I can merge my passion with uh, my career. Thank you. That's incredible. Thank you. Awesome. Suraida? So hello, everybody. Saludos a todos. And thank you to Oscar for this opportunity. Uh, just like you, I always get nervous when, especially around some amazing ladies here, <laughs> I think I'm going to hire every single one of them to, <laughs> to do some things for us. But um, uh, I always say I have many things, right? I have, I wear a lot of different hats. Um, you got to hear just a little bit about it. So, you know, I'm, I'm a ma too. I'm a, I call myself a stempreneur. Um, but mostly I just, I love the ocean. Um, I love the outdoors. And that's been a big influence, I think, a lot on what I've done. And, um, and I also say I love my pan dulce. I was going to wear my don't be self-conscious t-shirt. I didn't know if that was going to be appropriate. So I put on a dress for this, uh, for this event. <laughs> I was like, I don't know if they're going to take that too well, but I love that shirt. It just reminds me that, you know, we're all a little self-conscious sometimes, but um, it's okay. I do come from a family of immigrants as well. And I was the first to graduate from high school, well, my family to graduate from high school and the first to attend college. And really to pursue a dream that I had since I was 12. You know, I wanted to, to be in the marine field pretty early on and saw lots of stuff, you know, on Discovery Channel and never thought I would get to do those things and, and come to realize, I think people like Oscar and even my husband point out, he's like, do you, do you know what you've done? And I think it's just that thing where, you know, you stay humble, but at the same time, you do need to toot your own horn. And I think Oscar brings a lot of those things to light of, of what first generation means and and how we really need to market ourselves. And because there's other people watching. And I see that a lot when I do put that content um, on any kind of media or social media and somebody connects, some of my students will connect. I was also a teacher, um, you know, Ms. James, this is Matt, but um, just happy to be here and happy to share some of my experiences throughout my career. It's a, I call it a zigzag career because I didn't go straight, you know, it's been zigzag everywhere, but it's it's been an adventure and I don't think I would change any of it. It's given me um, all the opportunities that I've been able to, to get through. And honestly, it's been, it puts me in front of y'all today. So glad to be here. Thank you, Sarayla. It is important to realize that we don't all have to have a linear career. We can totally have a zigzag career, as you put it. And we can find ourselves at different stages of our lives doing some other type of passions. Natalie, I'll let you go ahead. Hi. Hello. Thank you guys for having me. Um, I feel like I also agree with the zigzag career. Um, I feel like I've been in way too many industries. <laughs> um, but yeah, I started like working at a bakery and then I went into marketing for a little bit. And then um, like with COVID and everything, it was just like find a job that pays the bills. Um, and I worked for a florist um, and then I kind of fell into tech. Um, I know um, sometimes I feel like it's a little bit difficult um, and it's kind of an interesting space to be in because um, I don't have any coding background. I didn't take any like computer science courses while I did business. I did actually international business and HR. I've never worked a day in HR in my life. <laughs> um, but yeah, I've um, just been excited to kind of have this opportunity to work in tech and then trying to find more meaningful tech out there. You know, there's also a lot of, you know, 
there's so many different industries, there's so many startups happening. Um, so yeah, I work at BetterUp, which is uh, the unicorn status startup. Um, and then that um, I truly love working there because it's so much more about like mental health, about, you know, trying to reach your true potential. And then they really, you know, offer amazing services where it is, you know, more about discovering your true passions, happiness before, you know, or not really having it be confined to your successes. You know, you could be happy without the goal being, oh, this job or this amount of money or my house, you know, how to find, you know, your true passions and your values and things like that. So yeah, it's a little bit about me. Thank you. It sounds like we all have experience in corporate America. Would you guys mind telling us uh, what's a common misconception or assumption that you held when you first started your careers? Um, I think I was trying to figure out exactly what was meant by this question. So I was trying to think of the assumptions that I made coming in, you know, I, uh, especially going into my first job, I worked for, a, I worked for another nonprofit and, uh, you know, I had a lot of experience, uh, different kinds of experience. So I honestly thought that the people would value what I would bring in, what I would say, the ideas that I had a lot of times were different or, you know, kind of outside the box. And so I thought that that would be a welcome thing. Um, a lot of times it wasn't. <laughs> uh, and my husband's always been my biggest supporter. So he said, sometimes maybe you're ahead of the curve, right? They don't understand that yet. But he said, don't, he said, definitely don't stop because then, then you start to really kind of hold back on her, on how you are. So really just, you know, started going down that path of if I'm in a situation, right, I still need to be able to, to be conscious of, of, of the environment around me, but it was, it, it was still a struggle to, to really not change who I was because sometimes those ideas were just like, oh, or it would, the ideas were taken um, as somebody else's um, and redefined or repackaged and then they were a great idea. So I guess the misconception or assumption that I made was that the skills that I brought would actually be valued, but I had to fight to make sure that they were. So I didn't know if that was, a, if that was the answer that you were looking for as far as the interpretation of the question, uh, but that's kind of how I saw it. No, I, I agree with you. I think we're so used to having to be resourceful and get creative, you know, as first gens, um, but it, I agree. It doesn't seem like they really want us to go that route. They want us to be, you know, cookie cutter replication and you name it to just be able to function in an environment that really doesn't allow first gen people to thrive. Um, yeah, Natalie. Yeah. So mine, uh, it's a little twofold. Um, so when I first started in tech, um, one of my biggest misconceptions was kind of how put together everyone was. Um, and then it kind of, to the same token of not wanting to ask for help because everyone else seemed to just be, they were doing their job fine. Um, I actually started my job alongside someone else um, and they went to like a prestigious university. I, they'd had no problems with like any of their projects. So um, that was kind of like a twofold thing of um, not really noticing that yeah you know a lot of these professionals have been in this industry for like 5 10 15 years and that is why they're so you know put together so formal they know what they're talking about um 
So yeah, and then definitely I wasn't asking for help. I would work till like 10 p.m., 1 a.m. preparing for like demos and shows because I or uh, to show the product because I was like, oh, I'm not familiar with it. I need to learn it myself and then make a presentation about it. <laughs> um, so yeah, definitely like not asking for help was one of my big ones. And then once I kind of, you know, got over it, I would um, kind of ask more for mentors. Um, I think that was one of like, the biggest pieces of advice was, you know, a lot of people are willing to help. You can just ask for a mentor, have like a, you know, bi-monthly or once a month, like check in with them. And then that's a good level set. So that way they know where you're at. They've been going on this journey with you and you're not like, you know, overwhelmed with like all your work. So yeah, that was my biggest misconception was that, you know, people do have these like communities to support them. And that is a part of why they're, they're where they are today. You don't have to do it alone. Right. I think we also tend to forget that um, other let's just say Americans here have the support. They have the information going into a, a job that uh, requires, honestly, the, the whole skills to network and to ask for help. And unfortunately, we just, we're so used to being essentially isolated almost and trying to figure out, like you said, everything on our own. Um, Natalie, how long did it take you to really be able to reach out for help in in your situation? Um, like six months, <laughs> which wasn't good. Um, so yeah, I then got a mentor who was able to help me with like, you know, the like work environment, the work culture. Um, she was great. She had worked at Adobe and she had like 15 years of experience and, um, but she was super sweet. So I love my mentor. Um, and then from there, I, um, I think it was also a bit of a pride thing of why I didn't do it sooner, but she was like, get a career coach, like find a career coach. They'll help you like get unstuck. They'll help you like find motivation, you know, really do some of that internal work. And I was like, no, like, I'm not going to pay someone, you know, like hundreds of dollars to talk to me for like 30 minutes. Um, but then I didn't then got my career coaching. And then, then I got, I found the position I'm in today and, you know, where it really aligns with like my, my values and like my skills and, you know, it's a much different environment, a little bit healthier, but yeah, um, it did take a while for me to um, actually ask for help. <laughs> Thank you, Natalie. Yeah, I, I relate so hard <laughs> to both of these fallacies. I, I feel like I had the same ones. Um, and I, I think for me, the the one misconception or assumption that I made was this like echale ganas fallacy is what I call it. Because growing up, you know, my I didn't really know anyone who had worked in corporate America. I didn't know anyone who had worked in an office before, but the one piece of advice my parents could give me and did give me was just work really hard. And so I, I did that. Um, and I knew from the get-go, I wanted to go into marketing. I had all of these lofty goals that I wanted to achieve for my career. But what I didn't realize with that was that this there was this whole other subtext to corporate life. And that's what ultimately helps you get ahead. So I think it took me many years to realize that. And it was a hard pill to swallow when I did, because I was like, why isn't the hardest worker the one that's getting hired or promoted? And, you know, even though I'd studied things like social capital and all of that in the context of society in college, it, it was so different to actually see it in action when I entered the workplace. So it really wasn't until I started speaking with other professionals about our real feelings and our vulnerabilities and our salaries, salaries and everything that was going on in the workplace that I was like, whoa, this is not what I thought it was supposed to be. So, I mean, 
that was honestly how the book came about. I wanted to see how other people had harnessed what they'd learned and like discovered these cheat codes to get ahead in their career. And most importantly, how we could communicate that to the next generation that's coming into the workplace. Cause they feel like, you know, ultimately we're one generation there. We're going to all become managers, directors, and we're going to be leading the charge on what the future of work life is supposed to look like. So why not start now? If we can change it, let's do it. Um, and I, I want to leave behind what corporate life is supposed to look like and move in this direction of like what it can be. While y'all were working in the corporate life, did you notice a lot of people that are also first generation within your environment or were you, did you feel alone? Did you have the support that you kind of wish you had, you know? I would say for for me, I was in the STEM field. So in marine fisheries, it was very male, white dominated. Um, there were a few um, women in that field. Um, I did fortunately have a mentor. She was the Dean of Science and Engineering. She was also one of the founders for SECNIS, which is Society for the Advancement of Chicanos and Native Americans in Science. And um, she was pretty hardcore with me. She was very direct. And I kind of needed that. I was a little kind of passive, um, a little introverted, extroverted, introverted. I don't know how you say that. I was, I just didn't know. I didn't know nobody had gone to college, you know. Um, so going into that field, I didn't even know what to expect. So, you know, again, going into that, I, I, I didn't know what the norms were. I didn't, <laughs> it, I was kind of out of place. Um, it was only until I started going more into applying for fellowships and internships um, that I started seeing them. And the first time I ever went to SACNIS, my first, you know, I don't know if I should have said that. It's like, oh my gosh, is this where we're all at? Because I had gone to so many meetings, uh, science meetings, and I never saw anybody who really looked like me, um, or there was a small pocket. We usually congregated towards each other. But, it, you know, in general, that was my first, is like, is this where we're all at? <laughs> this is where all, all, the, all the people are at. So, um, you know, I, I you, you tend to congregate, you know, we found some, some really amazing allies, um, some good mentors. Uh, but again, it, it was lonely sometimes, you know, um, and get comments at, at conferences, like, you know, and we hear about it now, like if you straighten your hair, you know, you would look more professional or um, I would come in and to, you know, doing my stuff and we'd be, I'd be the only one with like a pink shirt. <laughs> Everybody was like in black, brown, and gray. I don't know why those colors are, are seen as professional. Um, but, you know, I came in with like, I don't know, just, I love color, obviously, but I didn't know how to go into that space. It is like, you know, you stand out. So maybe that was a good thing. Uh, now I think it's a little bit more accepted. I, I, I see that more in, I think it's almost too, too, it's coming into the culture a lot, but almost in like a money-making way. And I was like, these are the clothes we've been wearing forever. Um, and now they're cool, right? Because somebody else says they're cool, so now they're cool to wear. So I don't know. Thank you, Victoria. Did you have anything to share? Um, I did. So my my upbringing was interesting because I grew up in a very immigrant-heavy community, but it was like half Asian, half Latino, Latinx. So it, you know, growing up, I never felt like an outlier in the first gen sense. And even through college, like I felt very comfortable. It was primarily, I had Asian friends, Asian environment, but we all had similar kinds of values and upbringing. But 
I do remember getting comments, even probably like elementary, middle school, where they're like, oh, it's, you know, you're, you're good at school. It's almost like you're Asian or, um, like there was just the separation between what a first gen Latino is supposed to be and what the Asian model minority is supposed to be. And I know that there, there's so much we can unpack there, but um, that's why I feel like the biggest culture shock I got wasn't so much in college, but it was in the workplace. Cause that was really when I entered that more white centric environment. And it was, it was like navigating a whole other world. And um, yeah, I mean, I can, I can totally relate to it being a very lonely experience because there weren't that many people that looked like me. And even then I, I just didn't have an awareness that I was an outlier. It was like, why aren't things happening? It, it took a very long time to get to that point. Yeah, I agree with Victoria. I had the same experience. Like I went to FIU, which is in Miami. So it's like, oh yeah, everyone's Hispanic. Like we're all good. Everyone speaks Spanglish. Like, you know, I wasn't an outlier in college. And then when I started working, it's like, oh wow, like there's literally nobody (laughs) that looks like me. I was the only person in my department who was, uh, you know, Hispanic, Latino, Latinx. Um, There was like a greater group though, which was nice. There was like a ERG or BRG um, employee resource group. And then that was a small community that like they would get to meet like every other month. So you would get to see, you know, and chat with other people about your experiences, but it wasn't like promoted or really utilized. Um, But yeah, definitely in the workforce or the workplace, uh, corporate America, you do notice the isolation a bit more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And speaking of that, uh, so Oscar talked about imposter syndrome as well as the student panels. And personally, the isolation doesn't help with all of that. And having to figure stuff out on your own and try to move forward in a, you know, hardworking professional manner, you, you do stumble upon this roadblock where you feel inferior. Um, Can you guys share a moment where you felt inferior or, uh, or just dealt with imposter syndrome and how did you guys overcome this? Um, yeah, so I've felt that way. <laughs> um, definitely, it was uh, not a great experience. I was, you know, going through um, an implementation. So just a little bit of background on like what I do. Um, after like the software sold, there's like a group of people who will like set it up for you. And that's kind of what my job is. And then you would go live when you're, you know, the company gets to actually use the software. Um and yeah, and like I had a lady or like, I was crying the whole time on the phone. I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, and she's like, you click this button. I was like, I don't see the button. Um, so yeah, that was not fun just because of like, you know, sometimes people would make snide remarks of like, oh, you know, I could tell you didn't do your training correctly. And it's like, well, I did, but I don't know how to do it in like this context. And, you know, these things are different from the training. Um, so a part of it was, you know, like kind of building that community a little bit, um, talking a little bit more about it. Um, I also think there's like a level of stress with like having to provide, you know, I can't just quit my job because I don't like it. You know, I'm going to have to, you know, stick it through. I've got bills to pay. Um, I have, you know, people to support. So like there is that, like, I feel like heightened level of stress of it's not just I don't know what I'm doing and I feel, you know, like I'm an imposter, but it's also like, you can't not do it. (laughs) You know, you can't just like walk away from it. 
Um, so yeah, definitely ways I think to help. I know some people um, are, are really into like meditation. It's not for me. Um, I think for me, it was more just trying to build that community, talking about it. Um, and then also acknowledging that um, things are new to you. You know, I think that was one thing. It was an article I read of like, is it imposter syndrome or did you, are you just in a period of growth? So I always try to refer to that of like, I'm not an imposter, I'm just growing. Um, so yeah. I love that. That's great. No, you're right. I, I feel like imposter syndrome, it's so relatable, but at the same time, people try to overcome this any way that they can, because they, I think it's just a feeling of wanting to belong and wanting to find a family or um, just anything to really bring in that support, right? Victoria? Yeah, Natalie, speaking of post-its, you know, I love my post-its. I'm going to put that on my, on my screen. It's not imposter syndrome. It's, it's just a period of growth. I love that. Um, yeah, and I honestly, I don't think that there is a day where I haven't experienced even just an inkling of imposter syndrome. I feel like it's especially prevalent early in your career as a first gen where you're working in an office for the first time, you're leading your first big project, and it's a very lonely feeling. But I know I, for me, the imposter syndrome would happen a lot when I was speaking, like doing a presentation or a meeting because I felt like in those moments there was nowhere to hide and I was always questioning what was coming out of my mouth if it was going to hurt my chances at a promotion or a long-term career and it was just the intrusive thoughts just kept going and going um and oddly enough I think when I had a chance to communicate my ideas in writing when I had time to like sit down and and like write an email or put it into a report it was so different because there was like this feeling of safety but in person I just remember years of feeling incredibly self-conscious especially in rooms where I was the only Latina which would happen often um but yeah I mean I think overcoming it over time I just realized that one it's such a common feeling and two that there are so many narratives that we create for ourselves even the self-perception and the very high bars that we set because there is no room for failures especially if you're supporting someone you know you're the one breadwinner you're the first in your family to have this type of job go to college there's there's a lot of pressure there so sometimes the bars that we set are so skewed sometimes and we may be doing great in a presentation for example and all of a sudden you get this thought that you're like saying um too many times and it just like throws you off but I think all that to say that I've I've reframed my imposter syndrome as intrusive thoughts and just realized that at the end of the day, you can't control how people are going to react when you show up as your authentic self. But if you can look at yourself in the mirror and say, like, I spoke my truth, I advocated for myself in the best way I could, and you're making these decisions from a place of motivation rather this than this place of fear or like feelings of being an imposter then you know you're on the right track and that will never lead you astray. Absolutely. That's great. Yes. It, and both of y'all have a great point. It's just a matter of how you can, how you can authentically handle something like this, right? How to put your best foot forward. Um, so did I that? I know somebody put another Chiona, so I'm a, I am a big Chiona. So every, Victoria and Natalie was talking, I was like, oh, just don't cry. Just don't cry because it's so true. I just love you. I just love you already. <laughs> and we just met for like a few minutes. Um, I think mine comes to when um, I, I, I get the opportunity to, to do a big project or I, um, you know, a job or so I get hired and I, 
because I've had it told to me too, either whispered or straight to my face that I was hired because I was a minority or because they needed to check a box or something. And uh, we still get that. I still get that in, I do have a current full-time job besides my nonprofit um, of why I get things. So because of what's happened in the past few years that I'm getting a job because of who I am, um, not what I can do. And again, we've, uh, within those situations too, and the jobs we've, I've had mentees, right. And they're, and they're looking to me as well. And, and it's hard sometimes you get, you swallow it and be like, you know what, you know, I, I have the skills, I have the degrees, I have the experience. Yes. I speak Spanish and yes, that's an advantage for me. Uh, and, you know, I, I can't, uh, because sometimes it requires me to be able to connect with a certain population where I can speak fluently and I can connect with them in the science field because they need people who look like me. And so that's not a bad thing to be in a position where maybe you are the only one. And, you know, changing again that narrative where I was the only one and now being in the situation where sometimes I'm still the only one in the room is, is to be present because that paves the way for others to come in and to see themselves. Um, you know, and one thing I told one mentee is like, well, I don't see myself in, in that position uh, of doing some of the things that we do. And I was like, why don't you see yourself? Because you literally don't see yourself in that position. It's always somebody else that's in that position. And so us, you know, staying here, it's, we're going to have imposter syndrome. I still have it, like you said, Victoria, but to understand and know our value, because we, we belong there. We may not fit. That's different but we certainly belong in that space. Yeah, I think it's time that we take over spaces that you normally wouldn't see people like us in. Um, right now, I'm one of the few land development managers in, in my industry that's one, a female or a Latina. So to be in that position, it really does make you make you feel that pressure where I need to perform, I need to do my best. Am I performing? Am I doing my best? And as you said before, it's a matter of you believing in yourself and really wanting to grow and thrive for you and being your authentic self and showing up for yourself at the end of the day. So thank you everybody for sharing. That was great, honestly. Uh, so we've talked about a lot of topics today, but one topic that we really need to touch touch on is the post-COVID world. We've lived through so many historical moments here in the United States and globally. Um, what advice would you have for those preparing to enter the workforce, especially our students uh, and other professionals wanting to jump in and, and run? I guess I can go first on that one. Um, going back to a little bit of what Oscar has said is, uh, you know, we teach our students to do something and then we don't do it ourselves. <laughs> um, it, for me, it's really just one, you have knowing your worth, but also understanding that you, we need to kind of up our, our communication skills. Victoria, you're a great one for that one, right? Uh, is the ability to, to really shift uh, as first gen, we are flexible, we're adaptable. And I think um, that's how I made it also through this pandemic I was teaching. I had, I had one week to switch to complete virtual to teaching all my students. That's what they gave us, right? Uh, thankfully, in my previous jobs, I did distance learning. 
I had worked on Zoom, so it wasn't a transition too much for me. It was just, you know, kind of switching to that. Everybody else had to really kind of learn a platform where I had already, we had already done that. So really think about the skills that are valued in today's environment, right? What are those tech skills? What are those communication skills? What platforms do you know? That's kind of the tech side, um, but also not limiting yourself to, you know, what the world was before. Uh, hybrid, virtual jobs. I, I am completely remote now, so I don't go into an office um, and I get good pay for it. I travel when I need to and, you know, I asked for a lot more than they were willing to offer and they, they, they gave it to me. But um, having the, that thing in mind, that mindset is to understand that you need to go, if you're gonna go and work for a company, you need to know how, how they're thinking, right? Because in this job too, they're adjusting to that hybrid life. Um, and what does that mean for them? Um, I think the employee is a little bit almost more in control now because of everything that happened because of COVID. And so just the ability to, to do engaging things like this, right? Where you said Zoom, it's, it, it's not boring unless the content is amazing. So how can you do that? How can you create excitement online? Because you can connect with so many other people that you weren't able to um, post, you know, pre-COVID. And I, I being and mental health standpoint and don't want to discount that but in terms of the workplace I feel like it has fundamentally changed the amount of leverage that potential job seekers have um you know I think that remote work and hybrid work is the new normal I know that there's some companies that are still actively pushing against it but overall um they're starting to see that we have power as employees so my advice kind of tangentially to that would be you know, realize the power that you can bring to the workplace and the power you have to change it. Because, you know, early in my career, I was trying to read career tips and blogs and all kinds of books on management, trying to figure out how to navigate this space. But instead, I wish I paid more attention to, okay, if the space isn't working for me, what are some of the things I can do to actively change it? And it's not an easy thing, especially if you're the only person of color in the workplace. It, it does, you know, take some level of courage and stress, honestly, to, to do that. And, you know, you may need to try on different jobs for size to, to find a place that does value you authentically. But, um, you know, realize that you do have the power to shape that environment that you're in. And, and realize also that it's, you know that networking takes so many shapes and forms, but there is such a community out there that's willing to help you. And now that we have access to like this whole virtual world, reach out to people on LinkedIn, reach out to people via email. I, you know, when writing the book, I was so blown away by the people that were willing to support and continue to support people like Oscar, everyone on this panel, like you will be hard pressed to find someone that doesn't want to support you in some way, shape or form. So several pieces of advice jumbled up together, but networking and realize that you have the power to, to change your environment. Um, so I graduated during um, COVID. So for me, it was very interesting where a lot of people said like, oh, you know, the workforce is very difficult. It's very new. Um, so a few pieces of advice that I would say is um, don't self-reject. Like if there's a job that you don't think you're qualified for, like go for it anyway. 
Um, I, so my journey was a little weird. <laughs> um, cause when I worked at the florist, I was also a, um, I was promoted to inventory supervisor. So I kind of got into the supply chain space and I was like, I don't know anything about supply chain. Like I have a degree in HR and <laughs> uh, just business. Uh, so, you know, take those opportunities as you get them. And then from there, then I fell into tech also, um, I know I'm supposed to fix that, uh, not falling, you know, not saying that I got lucky or that I fell into it and, you know, that, you know, I earned it. Um, so that's something I have to change about like my own language. <laughs> um, but yeah, so definitely like if there's a position that you're passionate about and that you think you're a good fit for, even if you don't meet all of the qualifications, like go for it, you know, you know, they'll decide if they want to talk to you or not. Um, don't reject before, you know, even applying. And then um, the next piece of advice would be, um, you know, just there's a lot of, you know, information out there. And Victoria said, you know, she was looking at career blogs and, you know, the workforce has changed so much of, you know, kind of go with your gut on what you think is best for you. You know, some people will say, you know, you got to have multiple streams of income. You need to have passive income. You got to do the whole hustle, hustle, hustle culture. And if that's not for you and if those don't meet your values, like, you can have a different career. You could have a career that fits you that might not fit what everyone else tells you to do. Um, so definitely go with your gut on if you, there is so much information out there on like how to get a job and how to do this. Um, just go with your gut and what you think is best. Yeah. Great. Thank you, everybody. Truly appreciate that you guys put up, put the time in there to come and talk to us and have these important discussions because growing up, I never heard any of this. So hopefully there's people out there that can really take our, you know, the advice that you guys provided and, and grow and continue growing. So just want to say thank you guys. And thank you, Oscar, throwing it back to you. Yes. Thank you, Bianca. Thank you, Victoria, Natalie, and Suraida. Thank you for listening to Career Talk with OG. Be sure to rate us and let us know what content you want to see on our next podcast. For more information, visit our website at www.aspidaconsulting.com.